And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners, as well as our podcast listeners who are listening uh, potentially through iTunes or one of the links you'll find at greenmajority.ca. Uh, I am your host, as I said, Saren Kester. I'm here in studio live just with Dave, just you and I, Dave. Mm-hmm. Dave Hostetter, and uh, we're going to be joined by phone basically now uh, by Lauren Latour. Uh, before we throw to Lauren, I'm just going to say that uh, we are going to be spending most of the show today doing a special topic by me. Uh, so buckle up uh, for later in the show. We're going to be going way off script, uh, mm. so stay tuned for that. But we want to make sure that we we uh, dot the I's, cross the T's, get to the, uh, the, the meat and potatoes, if you will, of the issue first. So Lauren uh, and uh, Dave, uh, you... Uh, as I now talk to you, yes, uh, are going to do uh, some news, and I'm. We'll see how long I can stay quiet. Yes. Uh, hi, Lauren. How are you today? Oh, I'm excellent. How are you? I'm. I'm. I'm doing all right. Excellent. It's a Friday. I'm feeling and, good. Oh yes. Oh yes. So now we're going to get into some very strange stuff. Uh, in April of this year, in April of this year, every Republican lawmaker for the state of Oregon went into hiding in order to avoid voting on a landmark education bill that would have put more money into Oregon public schools. Democrats, who control the House and the Senate in Oregon, then negotiated with the, with the AWOL Republicans and agreed to forego two other bills about gun safety and vaccines in order to get them back to work. But last week, the Republicans went into hiding again and have not gone to work now for seven days in order to avoid voting on and effectively vetoing a climate bill that would bring every sector in Oregon into the cap-and-trade market. Oregon's Governor Kate Brown then sent out the state police to try to bring Republicans back to work, but not only have they been unsuccessful, but right-wing militias have threatened to shoot police in defense of the runaway Republicans. One Republican Senator, Brian Boquist, told the superintendent to, quote, bring bachelors and come heavily armed, implying that it would be a shame for him to have to kill a married police officer. He also claimed that being forced back to work by police would make him a political prisoner. Democrats need two Republicans to return by the 30th of June in order to have enough lawmakers present to meet quorum and vote on the bill. Regarding the missing Republicans, communications director for the Oregon State Majority Office, Rick Osborne, told ABC News, quote, We've heard rumors all over the place. We've heard Idaho. We've heard Montana. We've heard Washington. I think I heard about somebody in California. I don't know if they're together or separate, but they appear to be out of the state. He also said, quote, When they came back in April, we gave up a couple of bills, and they gave their word that they wouldn't do this again. And they did this again. The website Reddit eventually put its largest pro-Trump message board into quarantine over the issue. Since so many people were glorifying violence as a wonderful and patriotic last resort, and telling each other to stock up on ammo to protect the rogue Oregon senators from the police. Users collectively raged about the communists clustered in cities and the tyranny of the democratic leadership and mused about shooting cops and burning Portland and Eugene to the ground. Police decided to briefly shut down Oregon legislature amidst the violent talk from the various militia groups. There was also discussion of soft, soy-loving, cuckolded men handing over their guns and daughters to the Prophet Muhammad. The quarantine means that the message board will not generate revenue or appear in public feeds or show up on searches, and most of the violent comments have been removed by moderators. 
This kind of walkout also occurred in 2001 when Democrats left to block a Republican re when Democrats left to block a Republican redistricting plan. And in 2007, when Republicans walked out to negate a plan to redistribute corporate tax refunds. In the first case, the state police were not sent out because the governor was a Democrat. And in the second case, the police were sent out, but they didn't end up hauling anyone back because one Republican decided to return and quorum was met. As mentioned, uh, the bill in question would bring Oregon into a cap and trade market with Quebec and California and was supported by industry. This would be the very same market that Ontario used to be a part of before Doug Ford pulled us out. It would make Oregon the second U.S. state to put a carbon price on all sectors. Regarding the economics of the bill, Democratic Oregonian lawmaker Karen Powers told Democracy Now! quote, We understand that our lowest income Oregonians can barely afford their energy bills as is. And so we'll be crediting them back the gas increased prices and holding their utility bills harmless. We're doing what we can to signal that this is a climate crisis. We have to act now and soon, but can't leave people most affected behind. We commissioned an independent economic analysis of the legislation earlier in session and found that it should increase our state's GDP above and beyond baseline by an additional 2.5% by 2050. And the firm found that they estimate that moving to clean energy and energy independence should create more than, 50, more than another 50,000 jobs over the next couple decades. About the GOP walkout, Powers said, quote, It is deeply disturbing to me that that sort of anti-government uprising would happen over a climate bill after we've spent months listening from the public. We've listened to public testimony for 22 hours. We've visited four different cities outside of Salem. And it's been an incredible public process, unlike most other pieces of legislation. The idea that we've shut out the public is simply untrue and feeds into this narrative that they have to leave, that they have no other choice, when we've been working on this literally for years together in earnest. Many are saying the bill is already dead, and unless at least two Republicans stop playing hooky by Sunday, the session will end and the climate bill will die, and every, along with every other bill the Democrats had planned, including two regarding paid family leave and healthcare spending. That is all I have on this topic, Lauren. How does this make you feel? Um, maybe it's just because I've been avoiding American media um, the last couple of weeks with, with, with election stuff um, around the, the, um, the Democratic debates heating up, but I haven't heard anything about this story anywhere and it's 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 low-key like bananas it's it's insane <laughs> um pardon my use of ableist language um but uh yeah and and i guess honestly the the thing about this story that sort of captures me isn't so much that you have a bunch of republican senators like shirking their duties and and debasing their oath of office um, to, to represent their constituency it's I don't know. There, there are so many elements of this. I guess at one point there's like, there's a figure that you mentioned and we're reminded that like cap and trade and carbon pricing is, is a fiscally conservative mm -hmm. policy standpoint. And, and the fact that we continue to get Republicans or, or in Canada conservatives or people who are right wing aligned all over the world, apparently um, sort of going against, a carbon price as as a policy is 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 ridiculous because like 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 the um the the governor was saying in that piece that you that you quoted, this would increase the overall GDP of Oregon by two point five percent. 
That's a significant increase. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you have Republican senators who are who are going against this motion, despite the fact that it would raise their GDP, which is something that they're supposed to be interested in, in and, and care about, just seems completely backwards to me. Anyway, we, we know that that's that for a lot of reasons, that's not actually their primary concern. But um, I don't know. Listening to the story, I, I really just hope that Canadian representatives don't get any ideas from this sort of tactic <laughs> of just holding holding their governmental and their legislative body uh, hostage. Um, but when I was researching this story, one of the one of the things that sort of came up that again sort of caught my eye was um, there was a rally that was happening that was being held by. Um, by members of the community who were supportive of these Republican senators who had walked out. And one of the people speaking at, at the um, at the rally was a, a sheriff of a, of a rural county. I think the county was called Douglas County in Oregon. Um, and he said, this state was built on the timber industry and by farms, ranchers, construction, and other blue-collar industries, not on coffee businesses and marijuana dispensaries. Hmm. And it just sort of reminds me of the fact that, I, I know I, I harp on this all the time, but the environmental movement, especially in the 90s and early 2000s, did such a disservice to itself and to the left in general by pitting itself in opposition to the workers of these industries. I, I know that that wasn't necessarily the intention. The intention was always calling out the big, like the, the, the big industry, the head honchos, as opposed to the individual workers. But unfortunately, because the environmental movement was so adamant that we cared more about the trees than the people cutting them down, it meant that those workers were made to feel as though not only do we not care about them, but we also don't care about where our paper comes from or where our or where our paper plates come from or where our food comes from or where to kind of reference that sheriff talking where our marijuana comes from. And it's 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 allowed this narrative to be perpetuated that that environmentalists and people that care about the climate are our inner like our, our urban elites who are disconnected from the reality of the situation and don't care about the laborers who provide us with the products that we use. And and we're going to have to work so hard to connect with these groups over the next few years, despite the fact that, that we want a lot of the same things. I mean, people who work in the timber industry in, in Oregon, for instance, don't want all the trees to disappear because then they don't have any trees to harvest. And, and we don't want the trees to disappear because we appreciate the trees. And, and they also appreciate them. I mean, people tend to live in, in states like Oregon because they enjoy being outside. So uh, we're, yeah, I don't know. The environmental movement did such a disservice to itself when we distanced ourselves from these, from these laborers. Um, and it's, and that's sort of what's coming to mind hearing stories like this play out. It's how hard we're going to have to work to, to fight that narrative. But. And I just, I just wanted to add as well too, is that, you know, and a big part of that is, um, I, I mean, uh, none, none of us on this show were old enough to, to have been there. So we can't sort of speak from personal experience as to the balance uh, between those two things. But there, I mean, like so many other issues too, we have to keep in mind um, the popular media is often when there's an out group. Popular media is often the group that defines for everyone else what that you know out group is, right? So this mm-hmm. has a lot to you know. We could we won't get sidetracked by a conversation about blackface, but I mean these types of things and they're inherently I mean you know raises it all stems from the same thing. That's an out group I don't understand. I think I'm in conflict with them, uh, so I'm going to do the blah blah blah. So the reason I'm mentioning that was because like it just occurred to me while you were talking. For instance, I'm a huge fan of the show. I've mentioned it before. Uh, uh, X Files, for instance, because that's I'm like an '80s kid, um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, there are three ep- three really prominent episodes where there's someone who is identified as an environmentalist, like specifically, uh, and all three of them, they're two, in two of them, they're the bad guy. One of them, he's an actual eco-terrorist who actually tries to kill people. 
Um, and in the third one, he's the hapless idiot who the disaster happens because they refused, like they were being so naive and refused to accept the truth that they did something that caused the disaster. So like, it's, and that's, I mean, that's just one show, but this has been like there, uh, the, that narrative has been reinforced, uh, and, and to the degree that I'm not even, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm. I have no idea how much that was um, that was the case, but it was certainly the only case that was ever presented to anyone. Mm-hmm. No, no, I think I think you're totally right, and, and I'm sure the X Files is not the only example we could point to about about narratives around disconnected environmentalists um, be, that are being perpetuated and, and 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 understandably absorbed by absorbed by sort of communities in opposition or or who 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 we've come to believe are in opposition to us. There was, again, when I was sort of quickly Googling this story, uh, a piece on Fox Business came up immediately. And, and it was unbelievable. It was like just a reminder that, like, we consume such different media and we consume such different news sources from folks who, who, who might identify as being on the right versus on the left. Um, this, this piece, it was only 250 words, if that. Um, it only quoted Republican senators, and and really, it just talked about um, how how this carbon crisis in Oregon would cause uh, rising costs over time, and it would be a loss of two thousand union jobs, which is of course in opposition to what we heard from from the governor of of Oregon, who who was stated as saying it would it would result in in an increase of fifty thousand jobs. Um, and then and then again, these senators were quoted saying things like, "We're going to stand and fight with our workers, and our constituents' voices are being ignored and disrespected," and it's like. <laughs> Not that I'm necessarily saying we need to steal their talking points, but but they are just so effective at getting that message out. And and when you're somebody who only consumes Fox News, I mean, I was listening to a story earlier this week talking about sort of the distribution of media consumption across sort of the political spectrum. And folks on the left, again, this is a study taking place in, in the States, but consume... Um, there were lots of different media sources they trusted that sort of varied from from the very left, from something like Democracy Now, to to the slightly more centrist, even even borderline right wing, like uh, like maybe Economist. Whereas you get folks on the right who who really have have very very limited trust in the media, and they were primarily getting their sources their their news sourced from either right wing talk radio or or Fox News, for instance. And and when they're only getting their news from a really really limited context and really really limited source that that again only does things like quotes Republican senators, your people aren't getting the whole picture. And I really, really I really hope that didn't come off as me sounding like, oh, us liberals, us left wing people, we have more knowledge, we, we have more access to that information. But it, it does seem to be that that's that to a degree that's the case and that we have more access to more information. Anyway, I'm not too sure what the point I'm trying to make is anymore. <laughs> well, I, I was actually going to interject and say, uh, Lauren, um, without realizing it, you're actually kind of foreshadowing uh, the next two sections. So um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, I've restrained myself from interrupting you, but there's a lot of crossover. So thank you for the unintentional setup. No problem. Happy to provide a segue. <laughs> and it's, it's just strange uh, looking at the kind of comments that spark um, or that, that surround this kind of militia uh, support for rogue Republicans online. Because these people online believe that they're taking violence as a last resort to defend their constitution against the tyranny of uh, this kind of regulation, which is some which is going to kill, you know, capitalist industry and turn everything into a uh, state-run conglomerate. And it's just I, I I wonder what the right approach is on these issues when both sides believe they they have the constitution on their side. Uh, and that they're and that they're being put under threat uh, in this way. I don't. Uh, oh. oh my God! I think that's the million dollar question. <laughs> that's the million dollar question. I, I 
I have no idea what that answer is. That's that's the thing when when everybody believes they're they're on the right and the other side is just so misled and so wrong and so ignorant. Um, and and we're at this point where everybody's just talking past each other and we don't know how to actually communicate because because nobody trusts the other side's sources. So yeah, exactly. Ooh stoked for this election period <laughs> anyway well no so uh, as i mean as a, as a bit of a tease so like a lot of what i a lot of what i was t- going to be talking about in the next two sections has to do with my trip to a uh, tech conference but a lot a per, the per, it wasn't just a random tech conference it was um uh, essentially one that was around um a, you know b- big tech and and the tech industry taking on a lot of these um challenges and so one of the the only thing I'll, I'll sneak preview because it was so related to what you were just saying was uh one of the presenters which i'll be talking more about um after the break is uh showed a graph starting with the uh so you know like colloquially we've I, yes i can't say that word properly i'm not i'm not even going to give it another try <laughs> you know what i was trying to say um was was the idea that you know oh Facebook has ruined political discourse? This is something that we sort of consider a sort of social truism. People say that, but that you know there's not like a reference for it. Well, it, it turns out there actually is. Um, if uh, there, if you map the founding of Facebook essentially to um, like a political spectrum st- uh, testing and like studies and, and surveys and whatnot, you can actually see there's like consistent generalized overlap, and then it splits over time since Facebook was launched to now it's basically two circles that don't overlap. And that those are those are just descriptive studies in the sense that they're just asking people about their political opinions and about their, you know, opinions about daily life and that sort of thing. And and it's it is an actual quantifiable fact. <laughs> it is a a referenceable fact that Facebook has divided us. Well, I mean Facebook on the one hand, but it's also all of these other social media sites. Any way that people can become clustered online and speak to only individuals who already agree with them then it becomes this sort of circle of rage uh, on both sides. And mm-hmm. it's, just, uh, it's, 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 it's just a very strange phenomenon right now. Well, I mean, it's really understandable from their point of view. I mean, you've, you've, um, you've, you, you need, okay, how, what, what are you monetizing? You're monetizing personal data and you're monetizing engagement. Engagement translates to any, in any interaction with your site. Why is that valuable? Well, engagement is the leading... Um, uh, sort of tracking point for um, engagement with the advertising, which is what they're using those things for. And so the the purpose of Facebook is simply to maximize engagement. That's that's its business portfolio, right? That's its that's how it operates. It's just if you have to put it in a single sentence, maximize engagement and then monetize engagement. And so the idea of this like political echo chamber, that's not an accident. It's also not like a side effect. It is it's the intention that 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 is the business model <laughs> because when you create echo chambers um it, where you know people uh, only either see content that they really like or really dislike which is what facebook is designed to show you you maximize emotional response and an emotional response is what drives engagement so that like like those things are we, we talk about these things a lot of things and i feel like a lot of people talk about these types of concepts in ab in the abstract as if they're like true in the sense that you just derive them to be true but they're actually like these are actually the plan it's not an accident <laughs> to show you stuff that you dislike you're telling me that absolutely the the entire purpose of this site is to maximize your engagement engagement is derived from emotional responses and so the entire design purpose of facebook is to emotionally trigger you such that you engage with it now i it's understand the, and, all, now i understand the, all the emotionally and triggered every time comments. you do that it's like one of the things about youtube it doesn't youtube doesn't care if you click like or dislike that's why if you watch any YouTube video, they say, even if you hate the video, click dislike, because it's literally irrelevant. From their monetization point of view and from the algorithm's point of view, there is no difference between a like and a dislike button. That the only purpose is engagement. 
Uh, anyway, I, I don't want to. I don't want to stream off here totally and, and, and kneecap my own <laughs> my own topic. So that's as far as I'll go. But uh, a lot more meaning in your words than you even realize, Lauren. Hmm. So, Lauren, uh, we're probably going to finish this segment soon. Do you have anything any uh, anything else to say about this this Oregon story? No, I'm just I'm incredibly curious to see how it plays out um, because in, in my mind. It was just sort of like, oh, well, they'll, they'll just continue to push back this vote and push back this vote until eventually these senators come back, come back to, to, to sit and, and go back to work. But, um, but no, I guess, like, like you said, if, if they don't come back by Sunday, then this bill falls by the wayside and doesn't get voted on. And it's, oh, man, like, how, how, how does that end up working within a, within a democratic system? But, yeah, um, and what happens when the Republicans, you know, p- potentially lose some popular support because of this stunt? The Democrats get in again. And they still can't do anything. And it's like, when are we ever going to do the tiniest thing on climate change? And is it always going to become violent in this way? But see, that's the thing. I don't think that the Republicans will lose any support over it because people who support Republicans are only consuming Republican media. People who support Democrats are only consuming Democratic media. And and each is getting fed a story about how the other one's the enemy. So so I don't think you're going to get any people who vote Republican or who, who would identify as being right wing or libertarian? Who are going to look at this situation and say, "Hey, why isn't my senator going to work?" They're going to look at it and say, "Those Democrats are holding up government and they're holding it hostage." And and my and my senator, my Republican senator, is representing my values properly. So it's like it's anyway, yeah, yeah. I don't know who's who's ultimately winning winning the discourse here, but um, but no. And for anybody that might be listening right now and is like, "Sorry, why are these three environmentalists talking about media right now?" It doesn't make any sense. Um, even if none of us is technically a media expert, um, the the media we consume shapes our understanding of the world and how we relate to it, and shapes our understanding of things like carbon policy. Um, so it's it is important for us to all be considering these things collectively, and and the type of media we consume, and 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 the things that shape our our perspective. So even if even if maybe you disagree with something that that one of the three of us has said the last twenty minutes, um, I think we're still kind of raising good questions. That and the fact that we're taking a moment to sort of consider these things is is positive and beneficial. So. Yeah, and, and just how to speak to each other online when you disagree with somebody. Because when you're writing something online, you can be as inflammatory as you want because you have no, there's no personal risk involved. It's just, I'm going to say whatever I want as mean as possible to this person to get my point across. And the whole thing, just the whole discourse dissolves. <laughs> and as Darren just told us, that's just playing into Facebook's hands. <laughs> <laughs> Every yeah. time you write an angry comment on the internet, uh, a pixie loses its wings and Facebook makes 10 bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Lauren, again, as always. And, no, thank uh, you. This is great. <laughs> cheers. Uh, and uh, Saren, what are we going to listen to now? Okay, so we're going to have a quick uh, break here with uh, Canadian Indigenous group Digging Roots, and we'll be right back to hear me talk more about technology and why you should, why exactly you should be concerned about it, and and why there's a lot of things that you should be really excited about. We'll be back to talk about me trying to sell you on why you shouldn't be quite as suspicious of technology and why exactly you should be, but like how to target it. <laughs> When we return, uh, uh, Dave will workshop that subtitle before that goes on the website. I'm sure we can probably get that down to six words. Can't we? We'll, do, we'll work on that while we're gone. Uh, we'll be right back. All right, you're back. You're listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Our wonderful community and radio partners who are very, very appreciated all through the universe. All of them equally loved, loved. and uh, and our slightly more appreciated podcast listeners as usual. Um, Dave, where can they go to get the podcast, by the way? 
They can go to the green. They can well. They can go to www.greenmajority.ca. Well, there you go. Um, uh, that's also where people who like to write angry comments at us that clearly haven't listened to the show can also go to listen to the show and and then write an angry comment if you yes, wish. Yes, please listen before yelling. At okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, I have a lot of notes. So this is going to be weird because I this is sort of like a Saren special topic where uh, I have notes, but I'm still kind of going to randomly make it up as I go. Dope. So Dave, you're going to interrupt me if I say something confusing. But aside from this, I'm going to try and plow through this. And then I have a couple of specific spots I'm going to stop. So cool. uh, without that, uh, with that introduction, here we go. But basically, um, this is going to seem like really off topic for at least probably almost 10 minutes. So just <laughs> bear with me here. Um, so and this, this will be explained in a second, I promise you. Uh, I realized through a number of things that have happened to me for the last few days that the only real way that I can, st- the most productive way to start this conversation is by saying something that's going to be probably received extremely awkwardly by many listeners, <laughs> um, which is that I need to define what a straight white male is because we need to talk about straight white men for a second. Um, but the problem with that is that, now hold on, I know, I know at least there's at least six of you who have gotten triggered. Just stay with me for a second. <laughs> Stay with me for a second. Today, what I mean by that is that that's a thing that people say, right? That is a common parlance. And it's gotten to the point at this point where it's being used uh, often enough, that identifier is being used often enough, that I, I think that it's a it's a classification problem. So uh, all apples are fruit, but not all fruit are apples, right? So the shorthand is it's it's not a straight white male. It doesn't. It, it, you're not a straight white male in the way that people often use it. If you simply meet all three of those criteria, uh, that to me is not it, um, because you are capable of meeting those three criteria and not meeting my definition, um, and vice versa, right? But you 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 are very likely not one of these people if you aren't those three things, right? So you're you're very likely. Um, yeah, you're very likely not a straight white male if you're not literally a straight white male. Okay. Um, so the idea here, um, the word I'm going to use is muggles. So what does that mean? The, 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 so from now on, using the word muggles, just because I don't want to keep saying muggles. that over and over, over again. <laughs> the idea with muggles is basically, you know, if, if you go through life and you never have to until someone brings it to your attention, anticipate someone else's concerns, you might be a muggle. Um, if you've never been criticized in a rude way, uh, or if it, when it did happen, it was shocking to you, you might be a muggle. Um, if you are constantly concerned with your own privileges and, and how they're being managed, and, and, and it's rare for you that your privileges aren't taken away or, or impacted in some way, if this is a rare occurrence for you that causes outrage because it's a rare thing, you might be a muggle. The problem here is that the reason I needed to start there was that the tech industry is something when, like we were just talking about, right? Facebook evil, right? That, that's kind of a meme at this point. And when I went to this tech conference, which was in uh, uh, Kitchener-Waterloo, um, it was uh, sort of tech for social change. It was called True North, uh, but it was like very much a tech for, to- uh, a tech for social change. And it, was, it wasn't a bunch of like small companies that were doing social value stuff. It was a lot of reps from really big companies. Um, a lot of people there from Manulife, some big banks. Um, and there were a lot of tech, like CEOs and stuff, important people with a lot power. of straight white males. A lot of straight white males potentially, and they were talking about uh, a lot of these important things. And there was a lot of really important things that came up in that. But one of the most important one, and there's a journalist who I'm going to try very hard to get her on the show. She sort of implied that she would agree, but we'll see how that goes. Um, but her name is uh, Kara Swisher, and she's been uh, interviewing. Uh, please do Google her. I'll put a link on the website. Um, but she's been covering essentially the tech sector since the since Silicon Valley was a thing, and uh, she's female. She identifies. As female. She is female. 
um, and uh, has been sort of going with all these Steve Jobs types and these tech gurus for a very, very, very long time. And she said a number of very important things. One of them stood out to me, not because it was the first time I heard it, but it was important in the context of where I was, which was, if you've ever wondered why there are 700 apps that will help you pick up your dry cleaning, and zero apps for helping um, you know people get housing or or like social value or any you know X Y Z actual problem. It's because those are the problems experienced by the people who are designing the things, <laughs> right? It's not it like it's obvious, but it's not obvious, right? Mm. We we need to take a we need to take a minute, Dave, to have a conversation about how um, a lot of people are. I think not even just throwing out the baby with the bathwater, but to go even further, another metaphor. I think they're cutting off their nose to spite their face. Who? I'm getting really deep. A lot of climate people, a lot of oh. environment people here uh, because I, there's an understandable huge pushback against tech because what people associate with tech right now is Facebook or other big companies who are doing things. And I'm, I'm just here to tell you, not, I, this wasn't my opinion because I went to the conference, but it, it reaffirmed it and it made me decide to talk about it. Um, was that it's not even like, hey, tech is, I'm not even bringing you the argument of, hey, tech is agnostic. It's just what we do with it. I have said that before, but that's not what I'm saying right now. What I'm saying is there are really are some people out there who A, get it and B, care. And they are in these big companies and they are trying to make the change that they can, but there's so few of them. And by being um, really opposed to these things, by not being involved in these things, um, we're not at the table. We're not the people being the, doing the designing, right? Instead of begging that Google makes an app that helps us track forest fires to help make the news a little bit, make it easier for journalists who aren't being paid very much, and there's like now two of them for every 50 there used to be, um, be able to report on issues because you're actually giving them the data, right? A lot of the time things don't get covered because the journalist just doesn't know about it or doesn't know how to cover it by a deadline. It's that it's unfortunate, but that's true, right? So there, there, the amount of good that could be done by 10 people taking a, a coding course and making a couple of APIs that just take public information and make it really condensed and easy to access could absolutely change the face of climate coverage in this country. Because a lot of there's a lot of issues, but most of the time it's not the evil one. It's really easy to say it's the evil one. Um, but I'm here to tell you that we need to be at those tables, right? And whether this has to do with diversity and inclusion or climate issues or the intersection between those two things uh, or any other issue that you might think of, um, it's not practical, it's not useful, and it's not effective to just complain about it from the outside or to tell those people that they're evil. Um, I've met a lot of these people. There are some really ignorant people out there. Um, a lot of them want to do the right thing and are just so far from knowing what it is because they're muggles, because they've never had the experience of having to constantly wonder if they're going to lose their job, if they voice their opinion or any of the other things. They don't have essentially a free pass in life. And But privilege is about things you have. And so not having it is very difficult to just get, right? And so these are one of these things is that a lot of these companies are just extremely ignorant. They're, the companies themselves are muggles. And there are certain companies that are just sort of doing social harm. And that Facebook is an easy one. There's no good from comes from Facebook. The world would quantifiably be better off if it went out of business tomorrow and shut down. That is just, in my opinion, a fact, a certifiable fact. But don't confuse Facebook with tech. That's one angle of it. The other angle of it is that people honestly have no freaking idea. And this is where I'm going to pause here for some comments from you, Dave. People honestly have no idea. And I can't tell you how many mental explosions I've had over the last six months. As I've come to terms, I'm here to tell you, 
the amount of amazing things that we could do if we just had a couple of hundred climate activists that knew how to code things. Here's the thing, there, Dave, there's a, there's a saying that people go, and I've heard this on all sorts of podcasts, very sarcastically people saying, well, just, you know, you know, just learn to code. As like, that's the, you know, the, the thing of like, well, put down your individuality and just join Google as like a Google arm. Okay, cool. But here's the thing. Code doesn't st- code isn't like being a miner where like your mind, you can't mine at home, right? <laughs> if you're, if your career is to be a miner and you work in a mine, I mean, sure, I guess you could win the lottery and maybe one day you'll own a mine, but then like, you're still going to hire people, right? Like it's not, it's a thing you do for your job. When you learn to code, it's learning a language. And it allows you, all it is, is the language that computers speak. And once you speak the language that computers speak, you can, computers can do all the other things for you. Um, and so one of the most things that I've gained the most appreciation for that I really wanted to sort of take a bit to evangelize is to identify <laughs> just how little effort it would take to do so much good in that sector if just more people knew how to do it because sure maybe you are maybe you do work for google and you have a you know the tech equivalent of a mick job but you take those skills home (laughs) and it really doesn't take much dave the reason there isn't an api that maps as sorry an api is a is an endpoint so think of it as a website that only a computer talks to right so when we when you go to a website that's functionally an api with a user, user interface it's some data that's from another computer being piped to you and then it's a certain type of that, a subset of a, a, of a data that might come through an API um, is, is a website because that has a user interface for you to use. But something without a user interface that's just for computer to computer is how people talk this. So you could do this. You could create a, a, a simple program that would collate this information and then publish it in reports in easy, easy things you could do. This is something a couple of people could do in a few months. I mean, what, what exactly time. could they do? Like what... What, what, is this, what is this amazing good that these climate activists could do with their coding skills? Because a lot of the, a lot of the problems are, are lack, almost exclusively a lack of uh, uh, information and a lack of proof of concept, right? Often people are, so the, part of the trick with the tech industry is that because being able to code is so powerful, right? In the sense that you could do anything. <laughs> like, I know it sounds silly, but like you, through a computer, you can do anything. So it's almost like you're, you're sort of like drowning in choice, right? So what we need, the reason there are all the, uh, um, you know, 50 million apps to help you, like th- think about how many fitness apps there are. Now, there might be a couple of climate apps. There might be a couple of things. And I, I know there's some Toronto groups that we've done that, but why aren't there 5 million? Like think about how many climate activists there are. But if people were downloading this thing, like often there's conditioning from seeing things, right? Like you think about when you hear a story about climate change, even if you're a climate denier, you think about climate change. When you're going through the app store and you see a fitness app, you think, oh, maybe I should. Like, do I need a fitness app? Right. It's part of being in the social fabric of spaces. It has the same thing to do with visibility. And here's where we skew back into diversity and inclusion for a second. You know, a lot of the climate change solutions are going to work for middle class white people. Why? Because it's middle and upper class white people who are largely making those decisions. (laughs) Right. That you can't separate diversity and inclusion. And it's not because every single one of those white people is a card carrying KKK member. It's just they're not aware. And so that's sort of the other um, angle of that is that we could be doing these things instead of begging other people to do them. A lot of the time they would be more receptive to it if they knew that we could speak their language um, and say, hey, look, here's this thing that we could do and I got it started is going to get a very different response from I hate you until you do this. 
And thirdly, the piece about diversity and inclusion is just a lot, a lot of these things are not being done because the people who know how to do them are just doing other things. It's not because they're for or against climate change. They're just doing other stuff. Um, and it's, it's really just, it's really made me um, just realize that we need to have a real conversation about where does technology fit into this movement? And because of the uh, connection between technology and corporations, which are the, the thing that is the actual problem, <laughs> right? Tech companies aren't evil because they're tech companies. They're evil because they're corporations. <laughs> so, but we need to separate that and sort of take that back. Uh, because the future at this point um, is going to be like there's a certain amount of climate change we're committed to and there's a certain amount of um, suffering that's going to need to be averted. And the only way to solve those problems are with tech. I mean, but I kind of feel like the app uh, itself as a format is the kind of thing that was developed by the straight white males for one another and for their petty domestic concerns. And so the the app format itself to me is already a product of that cultural blindness and that inability to imagine that there are other people who have radically different experiences from you in this in the same society living side by side simply because they don't have the same identity that you have or weren't born with the same identity. So sure. I wonder I wonder to what extent, you know, that the, the very the very structures that coding can affect are already shaped by that ignorance. And, you know, and to what effect, you know, that could actually have a change in that entrenched kind of system. Yeah. And I think we can um, I think we can definitely un unpack a lot of those. I, I'll just say to the um, that I think so. Uh, I'll give one example, but I think we can unpack a lot of that, mm -hmm. Dave. But I'll, I'll give one example of one thing you said there and then we'll we'll, we'll take a quick break and we'll, we'll come back, um, which is the idea. So I stuck up my head. So something I, <laughs> something I don't talk about on the radio very often because it's not uh, relevant, um, but it's also like sort of weird to never mention. So occasionally I'll slip it in there. But hi, I'm Saren Kester. I'm a trans woman. I identify as female, she, her. Um, and that, so one of the things that I did when I was at that tech conference was they were having a meeting about uh, inclusion and diversity in the frame of, in a very specific context. It was in the, in the case of like interacting with customers. And, and I sort of stuck up my hand in front of largely executives um, from large companies and said, hey, yeah, I just really want to second the thing about um, pronouns on forms because you may not th sort of think about it, but every time I have to answer that question, um, I have a little existential crisis because it matters wh what answer I write down depends on who's asking. And the simple process of like ha having to stop and like go through an emotional process every time you fill out the gender field on a form, whether or not it even has additional options, <laughs> is really intense. And then I said, and I'm sure none of you in this room will be surprised that I filled out six forms since yesterday noon. Right. And so that's the sort of thing. So, the, so that's an example of two of the things I've been talking about. We'll, we'll come back. We'll unpack this more. But the example of two things that I was talking about is I was in that room. And they were talking essentially about me as a customer. And I think I might have blown their socks off. <laughs> like they were meeting there about that topic, but they were not expecting the person they were talking about to be in the room. I mean, what, what, what was specifically was the topic? Uh, it, it was a whole, it would take me a whole show to explain. It, basically, they were just talking about how to, um, different types of ways in which you can um, show, don't tell your customers that you um, get their values and, and whatnot. And so I would, that was a, a very specific example. Uh, and so the example of two things, being in the room and and the importance uh, of, uh, and the type of impact, right? So uh, so that was one, so the, the type of impact now is that, so say you're, you're uh, the TD Bank app, right? 
uh, has, and I'll carry this forward, we'll bring it back to climate change just for the break here. Uh, you, you're logging into your TD app and you're signing, make it, say there's something, you, you know, you only create one bank account, um, but like, let's say something like a bank, so something official, right? But something where you, you have to sign up, you, you haven't signed up yet, uh, but some, some, or government forms and you're filling them all at a time. And it says gender and other is there. Even if you're a muggle, a straight white male, and you just see that on a regular basis and you fill out 17 forms a day, that's 17 form times a day when you're being reminded that, that whether or not you personally agree with it, that other people who don't agree there are two binary genders exist. And that's visibility. That's the next time they go to design something else they have in the back of their mind. Hey, these people exist. Mm. So here's my climate change before we go to the music break here. Um, that can work for climate change too. We're not just talking about a, a carbon reduction app. We should have 10 more of those. Great. Not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the TD Bank app that includes a line that says the carbon equivalent offset of something, right? I'm talking about, but I'm not just talking about on TD. I'm talking about everywhere. Uh, every, you, like this just being the standard in our din digital age that every bill you receive has some sort of uh, carbon equivalency to it. We offset this amount on your behalf or something. It's just about getting name recognition and face recognition and issue visibility that this is a real thing. It's real. You get it conditioned everywhere, right? One of the reasons why I think we get so, why climate change gets pigeonholed as a political issue rather than a scientific issue is because the only ever time we talk about it is in a political context or that conversation then becomes politics, right? It, it shifts to becoming about Republicans and conservatives or liberals and Democrats. Um, uh, you know, as opposed to an issue of science and fact. But if you just see it in a nonchalant way, if it's just on your McDonald's bill with no mention of politics whatsoever, but just like the carbon equivalency if this cup was two cents and we offset, whatever. I'm super skeptical of offsets. The point is to see it, to have it normalized in life. And this applies to people of color being in positions of power. This has to do with uh, women leaders of industry. This has to do with, uh, you know, queer and trans people being visible. That has to do with climate change being a real life link, uh, a real threat to life on earth um, needs to be visible. And the best way to do that is to reach out to these people and assume that they're ignorant, not your enemy. You might be wrong, but do that. And the second thing is to get involved, be in that room and, and to look for every opportunity to make the issue that you're talking about uh, visible, even if it's in a way that doesn't seem to directly achieve the thing. Just letting people know that the issue exists in a non-confrontational way, even if it seems like subconscious, is extremely effective. Um, so I'll cut it there. I'm at least five minutes over. Um, we might come back to some news, but Dave, I, I feel like I want to let you respond to my that mm -hmm. sort of deluge of things. So we're going to take a quick Carl Sagan break. It's that time of year in the summer when I usually play a little bit of Carl Sagan. Now, here we go. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to have a poem read to us, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, and I'm so thrilled. The phone hasn't rung once with an angry caller, so I'm I, hopefully I'm walking a good line here today with the content. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Green Majority with Sarah and Dave, and we'll see you in a minute. The Green Majority is entirely listener-supported. Our goal to reach minimum solvency is to raise $300 a month. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com for as little as $1. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, 
Every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The Earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings. How eager they are to kill one another. How fervent their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. The Earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit? Yes. Settle? Not yet. Like it or not, for the moment, the Earth is where we make our stand. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. All right, we are back. Dave, don't tell me there's no room in your icy, icy heart for Carl Sagan <laughs> I mean, and some I mean, 60s weird <laughs> piano music. The guy's, the guy's like, we hold no privileged position in the universe. And then he goes, and we're the only known life. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, either we're, priv either we're privileged and we're the only known life, we or all, we're not privileged. And there's a he's like, there's a vast cosmic we arena, will, we will but have it's empty show. and bare. I'm like, what are you talking about? Bro? We will have another show where you and I can debate the, philos <laughs> the philosophical viewpoints of Carl Sagan. I will be happy to do that. <sighs> it, might be, it might have to be on a bonus show. Um, all right. So uh, I, that's just something I like to play from time to time. We're not even going to really talk about it beyond that. Uh, just if you didn't hear it before, you now, now you've heard it. Uh, that's a beautiful poem by Carl Sagan. Um, so there's one last thing I wanted to um, actually directly address, and then I'm just gonna <clears throat> just, I'm gonna let Dave okay. either talk or okay. or answer questions or whatever, yeah. uh, ask me questions whatever you like. So the last thing was about uh, was about um, Lauren's uh, was Lauren's segue that she set me up with here, which was about the idea of you know people don't talk to each other left and right, whatever. Um, uh, my theory uh, is that my opinion is uh, that. 
currently, the idea of left and right is are absolutely meaningless words. Well, because of not due to Donald Trump, but in the context of the age of Donald Trump, um, we've simply taken all of the muggles, all of the people who for whom they have so few concerns, at least about others, that the idea of someone else suffering brings them joy. Actual sadists um, who we interact with on a regular basis on our Facebook page, by the way. I mean, um, no, I'm, I'm referring to a couple of specific conversations I had in that in that case with someone who literally said, I'm going to it's too bad uh, this. And this is me uh, almost directly quoting. Uh, it's too bad. I'm going to be dead before uh, I, I get proven right, because I'd love to see the looks on your faces when you're all poor and there's no climate change. Like these are really people who are like angry, lonely people who are lashing out at the world who unfortunately almost certainly vote. Um, and so what I the reason I wanted to say that was. That we, there, we, we because of the way that people don't like to talk about co- politics, right? You can't, um, you can't. It's really hard to talk about politics at work if it's not in a specifically controlled sub, whatever. But we have a problem here uh, because politics is now like what politics means has been changed, um, and we now have a bunch of people who basically are you know straight white men, muggles who don't care about themselves, whether or not they're actually male, um, whether or not they're actually straight or white, um, but people who fit that profile who are now calling themselves conservatives and are basically just, I don't think any of these things are real. I don't like change because I see change as me having less power. And I'm just so angry at the world or so pathological and sociopathic and enjoy the suffering of others because they're so angry and sad that they really just want to let the world burn because they want to stick it to the lefties. And the lefties are act- where actual political discourse takes place, right? If you get 50 left- lefties in a room, you have 50 political ideas, right? The, the left is at this point, I'm not saying the political left, but I'm saying people who identify as the left are people who are not afraid of that label and are interested in having a real political discussion that identify real things about real issues. There's also a whole bunch of people who currently vote for the conservative party because they're not plugged into politics because they aren't aware of this shift and they aren't aware of the fact that conservative parties the world around are not representing a particular uh, political ideology. They're simply, they're simply the angry hate vote, right? And what do I mean by that? I'm not trying to slander that. Well, it's because they've abandoned even their ideas. Like find me a conservative politician who has the slightest respect for, for the actual free market. There isn't one. There isn't one. They want the most controlled economies in the world. They just want all the subsidies to go to their buddies and everyone else to be out on the street, right? These are not people with like a, a different political viewpoint about which we can have disagreements. There is a, the majority of us who need to sit down and have a conversation about what needs to be done in the world. And we need to find a way to limit the damage, sit down and silence, or at least shout over, get louder than the tiny subset of people who are actually just out for vindictive political pain because they're sad and pathetic people and a whole bunch of people who are not aware of what's going on in politics enough to think that the the party that has attracted those people is their party. Um, And that's where I'm going to start rambling. I've left you seven minutes to do with what you will. (laughs) Well, I guess I don't, I don't find, I don't think of these people as sad and pathetic. I think of them as, you know, as, as, as loving what they have in their life and feeling threatened by certain kinds of discourse. But also, I mean, you did say a few months ago that uh, 
these cer- certain corporate oil CEOs, uh, fossil fuel industry executives, should be jailed. So I wonder if there isn't a kind of you know Schadenfreude on your side, thinking, you know, I'd like to see these people suffer too. Uh, no, I um, well, I want to see people punished for harming others because I believe in justice. Um, I don't see people. I don't believe that people should be harmed because of their job status, rank, classification, or simply mm-hmm. because they politically disagree with me. I think that these that there's a specific group of people that have committed crimes who have not faced judge, judgment because of their privilege. But those who defend those men, and probably mm-hmm. and probably most of those men, mm-hmm. those straight white males. Uh, and even if they aren't straight white males, right? Like the corporate disease infects right. us all. The, the muggle, but, bro muggles. Uh-huh. Bruggles? Uh, Maybe we call them bruggles. They believe, and there's evidence for their belief, that what they've done is actually liberated uh, soci- uh, individuals materially uh, through the uh, development of uh, the fossil fuel industry. Right. And, that, and that they've given us such a major gift and such a necessary gift uh, of of wealth through the burning of fossil fuels, that to now call them you know criminals is a is a proto Stalinist kind of thing. Can an Academy Academy Award winning actor be convicted of murder? But that's not the same thing, right? What no, I'm no, saying. No, answer the question. <laughs> they can't, obviously, right? So one thing doesn't preclude the other. That's my point. No, what I'm saying is, is they could, it's they the can, very it, it industry. Can be both of those things. It's the very industry that's brought the freedom, right? It's not as if you're acting and then you've killed. It's not sure. as if you have to kill someone from acting. It's like the very industry, the very fossil fuel industry that that uh, appears to be hurting us now is in fact uh, has in fact benefited us, right? Right. So it's not that it's that it's that the one benefit now appears to be a detriment. It's not right. that it's not that they've done right. something because, in addition to the fossil fuel industry. It's that the development of that itself, <laughs> the development of that itself, has brought both freedom and uh, brutality. It, it was doing one, and then it uh, and it was doing it was doing both, and then we started caring about one of them, right? And so, like over time things can change that was that was my point about the the actress um was that like you might have an actor or an actress who becomes famous um and then kills someone and it's a reality in society that we use that person's fame to help that person avoid consequences like well you know kevin spacey wouldn't have sexually assaulted someone because it's kevin spacey right that that is what's at play there for me it's more like for me it's more like eddie murphy right you look back on his eddie murphy raw and he says some terrible things about gay people and about the whole thing and it's like and if you ask him these days he still says pretty terrible things about gay people but it's like this did not age well right but he was huge at the time and he's still respected as a comedian and that did bring people laughter and joy but you look at it now and it's like okay that was kind of disturbing and so the and 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 that's good that you brought that up because that does flush out the the importance thing here the 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 thing that there's a very they're not being i don't think that they should be jailed because they're evil or because they're contributing to climate change there was a crime in my opinion i don't know if it's legally a crime i'm saying it's was a crime against humans and should be a crime um and for a crime for which i think that that they should be jailed um is the idea of of spending millions of dollars looking at climate science to lie to people where the consequences will be death not of a couple people but of millions of people that Mm. to me is a crime and they should go to jail for that crime not for being the head of an oil company it's it's difficult because something like a crime evolves from very entr- tr- very entrenched morality that we've all already agreed upon. Whereas climate science is something so new and fresh. I mean, obviously, it's been around for 
uh, 80 years now. Climate science is just but, science. It's not like a new kind of science. No, but it's the idea that this this substance that has brought us such wealth is now not so much anymore, yeah. right? So it's not so clear cut as, you know, you've committed this kind of crime. Oh, sure. Ab- and absolutely. And I, and I think that's the, that is actually, you've, you've hit the nail on the head and, and yes, we're absolutely out of time here. Uh, but you've, you've at, right at the end of the show, you've hit the nail on the head, which is that that is the, that is the people not having to be able to have a complex thought about something <laughs> is the problem because both of those things are true, right? And it's not like when people say like, well, you know, climate change is real and they respond with, but it's brought us so much wealth. Both of those things can be true. Like it's not, that's not a response <laughs> because it doesn't address the actual thing that I said. Uh, so again, that's not but what whether or not they should be jailed is a different. Group. All right. Well, we, uh, we can agree to disagree about that. if we want. <laughs> uh, I stand by my position. Okay. Uh, that is all the time we have for today. Uh, I would really appreciate any comments or thoughts you had about today's program. Very experimental uh, as far as format and uh, content. Um, if you have positive or negative thoughts, please reach out to us. You can email Dave. Uh, be nice. Uh, well, at, you would be emailing Narhan Haroon. Uh, well, that's true. Uh, she Nurhan, might forward it to us. Don't be mean to Narhan. Um, you can do that through the, the contact page on the website, greenmajority.ca. All the show notes will be up there as well. Aside from that, that's all the time we have for today. And uh, thanks for listening. I uh, hope you appreciated it. Blue dot. <laughs> Take care real soon. We'll see you.